this stage, you know, I think it's good to stop and to um, ask uh, Jacques to continue um, on this uh, note to give us a little bit more of his practical experience um, in working with AI in manufacturing. Over to right. you. Yes, can I share my screen as well? You should be able to share. I see it. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, there's, uh, there's so many um, things that resonate in terms of what you're saying there. I'm going to try and comment on, on that quickly in my presentation as well. So let me just, um, there we go. Okay, so very uh, briefly, um, I, what I wanna, obviously we foc the focus here is on manufacturing. So I think what's also relevant, I just um, last year, and I will just share a few things here. I, I did a keynote at the, the MISA International, which is the Manufacturing Enterprise Solutions Association. And it was about making, um, making manufacturing great again. It's about the rise of Phoenix. That was kind of the theme uh, last year. And I was specifically talking about operational AI to help manufacturing businesses thrive. And I was referencing some of um, the specific things. So what I want to do here is just to talk about specific examples and, and also my own business. Um, I'm, I'm, we're also involved in that, although the focus is right now on health and financial wellness and building these digital platforms that Ben was talking about. So I'll mention a little bit about that. Um, but my previous AI company that I sold to General Electric um, in 2011 was, was absolutely focused on the manufacturing mining industry. And we've, we've developed software, minerals, metals, mining, or AI engine for the minerals, metals, mining, manufacturing industry that we sold globally. Um, across the globe, and we provided solutions around that. Um, and, and I'll share some a bit of those examples as well. So in this particular presentation, uh, I was kind of highlighting, oh, this is just my massive transformative purpose around how to shape a better future in the smart technology era. That's why I'm also writing this book on democratizing AI to benefit everyone. Um, and I will quickly reference some of the things that's happening in Africa that's really tied with that mission, that massive transformative purpose. Um, and I also agree with them in terms of he's talking about is there really a fourth industrial revolution? I call it the smart technology era. It's really part of the digital revolution. Um, I do comment about this quite a bit and give perspectives and do some sense making around this topic in, in the book as well. Um, but the one thing is for sure, the speed of technology change in a lot of instances is exponential. And a lot of the things that Vim mentioned there in terms of all those little building blocks um, that you can put together to actually very quickly leapfrog and provide solutions and disrupt industries. All of that is available and it's opening the doors for everyone in the world, but definitely in Africa as well. Um, and, it's, and it's really the fusion of these smart technologies that allows you to do very powerful things. So it's about creativity. Do you have knowledge about this smart technology toolbox, how to apply it, how to use it? But we are democratizing that. There's lots of examples uh, of that. Um, so I'm quite excited about what can be, be done in this regard. Um, I'm just going to go, this is just talking about um, the, the smart technology era and AI as, as exponential technology within this. Um, as we instrument the world, as we generate more data, obviously we are uh, providing more opportunities for AI and smart technology to actually unlock value and specifically business value, but also societal value. Um, and I talk about this uh, also in the book. Specifically in terms of uh, Cortex, um, and what I want to just quickly reference, this is my um, AI company, 
a next generation AI company that's really, it's got an AI engine for business, but we've focused this whole thing now on financial, building a scalable digital platform for health and financial uh, wellness. I'll just mention that briefly, but I want to focus on the manufacturing side for now. So I'll show some examples. So the way we're looking at this, so, so basically, if you think about AI technologies and solutions in general, you can, there's the customer facing world. And Vim talked about recommendation engines and the personalization that you do all these customer services. We think about the retail sector in terms of what Amazon is doing, Netflix is doing, all of that. So there's the personalization and that engagement that's happening where AI is applied at large scale. But then on the industrial side, the manufacturing side, it's not only that, but it's actually the enhancing and sensing um, that's happening. So you can do, you can build models, not only of customer behavior, but also obviously of processes of assets and so forth. And then you can detect if there's anything going wrong. Um, what is real-time causes for that? You can start optimizing around that. Um, you can build security solutions. But then because of the types of data that we generate, we can do a lot more with geospatial data, audio data, vision, vision, and all of that, and obviously IoT, and all of, all of that provides us with great opportunities to unlock value. And that's exactly uh, what we've done. So uh, um, I just, and I just wanna quickly share another slide here that talks about that this was actually on health wellness, but I wanna go to, um, just to this particular slide that shows um, this. So this is just some of the recent solutions here in South Africa and, and Africa. And one of them is that I want to just highlight is a minerals metals mining solution. And it's typical of the types of solutions that we've provided uh, globally as well. So, but this one specifically, it's, it, it was one of the biggest companies in the world, mining companies in the world, where we've done uh, AI-driven automation of their mining operations to increase revenue, reduce risk. Um, and, and we were not only looking at that side, but even looking at the supply chains and modeling that side of it as well and looking at the impact of COVID-19 on their business from that perspective as well. But on the industrial side, it's really about how can you increase the throughput, the yield, how can you reduce the risk? Um, and that's a huge application area. Um, what I want to quickly just go back here to manufacturing. So um, if I just I just want to quickly show specific examples. So some of the core AI use cases per sector, clearly, if you look at manufacturing, it's around predictive maintenance. And one of the big reasons why General Electric acquired my first AI company was because of their assets. And, and they're also involved in industrial processes. But we've provided an, an, an engine, a solution, an AI solution that allows you to be predictive in terms of maintenance. And you can also look at your asset performance and also your utility optimization. So those are three very important ones. But there's also chemical or manufacturing processes that you can start optimized. And the, the other example, uh, and I will get to that shortly, um, well, maybe I should just quickly go there. I just want to quickly show this as well. So if you think about any minerals, metals, mining, industrial process, um, the opportunities are to build models of a process, of a piece of equipment, um, and then start troubleshooting that. The moment you've got a model, you've got something powerful. You're going to extract uh, knowledge, and you can understand the causes of variation. And if you look at any of these kind of uh, industrial applications, it all has to do with the KPIs. What do you, what do you want to control? Um, you don't want runaway temperatures in a furnace, for instance. Um, what is the underlying causes for that? So you want to understand the distribution. You want to understand the causes of variation. 
You want to then reduce that variation, and then you want to actually uh, improve. You want to then diagnose and then predict and then control and optimize. And this is exactly the same recipe that we've done not only in Africa, but also across the globe in multiple industries, in discrete manufacturing, continuous manufacturing, batch manufacturing, but also um, in, in minerals, metals, mining, other types of industries as well. Um, and, and this kind of little thing here at the bottom also shows some of the things. It's about equipment availability. So that will increase production. You want throughput quality increase. You want to reduce your risk. So that's typically in terms of pro process equipment failure. And you also want to reduce your cost in terms of energy, raw material usage, and so forth. So there's, there's plenty of areas. And, and uh, these are specific examples where we've increased um, we've stabilized the grinder plant. This is like a, a manufacturing plant. We increased the, five, the, the throughput with 5%. And it was the feed rate going into this grinder was, was all over the place. You can see the variation. And just by applying uh, machine learning, AI, understanding the process, understanding the course of variation, you can actually improve that and reduce that variation and then get a better feed rate. And that maximizes throughput that maximizes, the, improves the grind quality, it lowers also the energy. So this translates to millions of dollars straight away. And then just piece of equipment, you think about trucks and all these kind of things, you just want to make sure, ensure the increased availability. So this is an example of where we increase it from 70% to 85%. That again translates to uh, millions of dollars. Um, so these are example, industrial industry examples of uh, where one can uh, make a huge difference. And uh, there's lots of other examples in terms of sense, the intelligent video analytics for safety monitoring, security monitoring, transport, logistics, mining, um, and, and then many other types of things where one can, can add value. Um, I'm not going to go into too much in the interest of time here. Um, Vim, do we have a few minutes still? Um, yes, we still do have a few minutes, Joe. Okay, great. Because I just wanted to quickly talk, because I can talk more about manufacturing in general um, and, and, and things that one can do to, um, to actually generate business value. But I also just want to quickly um, reference um, just some of the things that's happening in Africa, it's just some initiatives. Now, Vint talked about Zindi and stuff, and I'll quickly talk about that. Also, Data Science Nigeria. John talked about ACE. Um, and uh, let me just quickly uh, reference that uh, as well. So I'm just going to skip a few things. So there's incredible AI opportunity for Africa now. It was very interesting, Vim's uh, perspectives there. And uh, it was interesting, John, saying in terms of investment. But I think if you look at the stats that, that Vim has provided there, uh, it's clear there are great investment. Even my own company, we've got some uh, huge investment. And we're also building towards unicorn type of platform businesses. Um, I'm very excited about those kind of things. And we do have some success stories here. Uh, for instance, season systems that were sold to General Electric. That was a huge early success story in terms of AI. But, the, but on the broader scale, it is so that if you compare what's happening in Africa to what's really the money investment happening globally, um, it, is, it is really relatively uh, 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 less. So it's obviously we need to do, we can do a lot more. So, the massive transformative purpose is really around how can we uh, um, shape that better future, how can we our business and society thrive? Um, and that's what we're building here with AI communities, with the Machine Intelligence Institute of Africa, with Data Science Nigeria, with Zindi, and all these kind of initiatives. So we need to build capacity. Now, uh, in Cortex, we've really focused on, on, I think, one of the important things in, Af in Africa, apart from the infrastructure, is, is um, education is huge. 
but but then also health wellness and financial wellness and the unbanked and how do you empower people from that perspective so so for us that is a huge focus on the mia front it's really about transforming africa through ai communities and and i don't want to i just want to quickly here i mentioned some of the the partners and you you'll see zindi there and we we engage with swiss cognitive and, and various other organizations there you see data science nigeria and and them also talked about the Volkswagen Stiftung and what we're doing with AI quality there's some really fantastic initiatives um i'm not going to go into details here but i just wanted to make you aware of of one of the organizations near specifically that's looking at building a collaborative impactful african ai ecosystem and to to help transform africa and there's many things that one can do and there's many other organizations that's helping with this so we're just trying to support that as well like where we we are very actively involved in supporting ace in kenya for instance um and status as nigeria nigeria but there's in ghana great activities there's in other uh, other uh, communities also great stuff going on but we do have opportunities to also disrupt the way um um you actually certify and accredit ai related skills and so forth so we've got some very specific ideas in terms of that and and, and growing the community and and also um helping to validate and advise an ethical robust and trustworthy ai there's lots of stuff on that but how do you make it real and practical for real world implementations as well so we we are applying this in our own business but what's happening with other businesses now ace is an example of a smart technology center of excellence that was created in kenya recently that's obviously supported by mia as well uh, and we need more of these kind of things to build capacity So anyway, I'm not going to go into much more detail there. There's some very specific goals associated with that, and I just wanted to show a little bit of the ecosystem. And I just want to reference one or two things um, just to show you some of the the things that's happening to build that capacity and infrastructure. So, so you can see Data Science Nigeria that I've mentioned, Zindi that was uh, uh, that that Vim talked about, but Google has invested quite a bit as well with the Google uh, Go- uh, Deep Learning in Daba. So even as from a Cortex perspective, we've invested also in some of the local uh, uh, Google Learning in Daba events. But this thing is a is an African wide thing, um, and it's uh, amazing. um what google helped to do here with deep, deep learning and daba so i encourage you to look at daba uh, daba x with deep learning and daba to see what's going on there but there's also obviously a bunch of universities that's getting the act together now in terms of ai machine learning providing courses uh, even stanwash university where i was affiliated um, affiliated with them as well um and they've been doing some great stuff university of cape town um university of johannesburg pretoria there's there's a bunch of vits as well vits that is actually also linked to Cirrus which is uh, uh, a Africa initiative and I'll just talk quickly about that um but there's a bunch of tech hubs incubators um in Africa which is very exciting and it's happening across the 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 the, con- the continent um so just I just want to quickly mention Cirrus as well so Cirrus is a is a a whole private sector led initiative that brings together academia we've got Stellenbosch and we've got Wits uh, and a few universities uh in Africa involved with this as well but also industry and the aim is to build world class ai research and application capability uh and to enable this kind of transformation and scientific research and commercialization so this is uh, the aim here and and it consists of of a cooperation program the state of the art computing infrastructure that we don't have yet we, we've got some um uh, computing uh, available here 
uh, locally. Obviously, via the cloud, there's quite a bit that's made available. Uh, but in terms of local computing infrastructure, this is what Sirius aims to uh, uh, put in place here. And then open learning. There's also Foundry Fund and Foundry that looks at startups and, and so forth uh, as well. And there's more details. If, if you go to Sirius's website, you will find more details about what's, what's involved here. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to mention is just data science Nigeria. I, I think they are setting an example of how to build capacity, a, a data science capacity in Africa. So Mia initially a few years ago um, started supporting data science Nigeria. I was spending some personally some time there doing some boot camps, speaking at some conferences. And here is Bayo Underkanvi. He's the Chief Transformational Officer of MTN, and he was the inspirational guy behind Data Science Nigeria. But now it's a whole community. And it's just awesome, the, the example that they are uh, setting. So you can go to Data Science Nigeria to see what's happening there, the vision, the platforms that they're building, and, and so forth. Um, with, um, I'm not going to talk more about Zindi, but Zindi, I'm very excited about this. Mia has also supported Zindi and also with Vims and the whole collaboration. Um, this has been a fantastic success story for, for Africa as well. And I think I would probably want to stop there. The, the rest of it is a bit more specific ideas that I had uh, proposed four or five years ago in terms of smart technology, centers of excellence, how to build this capacity and how to actually grow this. Um, it's actually a fourth industrial revolution or say smart technology era entrepreneurship ecosystem and how can you link it with universities and how, how you can actually create this mesh structured network of collaboration across Africa and beyond. Uh, and um, anyway, so lots, lots of stuff on, on that regard. Um, I, I think I'm probably going to end there. Um, I do have more things to, just, to obviously talk about, but Vim, I don't know if there's any questions uh, on both uh, well, our presentations. Uh, thank you very much, Jacques. Yes, I think we, we still have about 15 minutes in this session uh, that I think oh, we'll end, and we can use that for, for, um, for answer questions and answers. And maybe um, <clears throat> if some of the, um, the questions, uh, you can refer back to your slides. But uh, thank you very much, uh, Jacques, and also thank you again uh, to the audience for listening to us. Um, so as mentioned, we do have some time for discussion. So if there are any questions, um, Jacques and I would be very happy um, to try and answer them. Yeah, very, very fascinating uh, uh, contribution. Um, a lot is happening and much more can be expected, I think. Um, now, you continuously mention a few hub countries or hub areas where, where this is happening. Uh, South Africa, it's, it's Kenya, it's, it's Rwanda, uh, it's Nigeria. Um, you never mentioned the links with North Africa and particularly what's happening in Morocco. Um, are there any connections between these hubs in the, the parts of Africa you mentioned and the developments in the north? And um, what else is happening elsewhere in Africa, particularly in, uh, in the university setup in the rest of Africa? I, I, I can maybe just quickly comment. So Morocco, there was, um, there's, there's some really good stuff happening there as well. As a matter of fact, at the Data Science Nigeria event, um, it was... I was there, but there was also an AI company from Morocco um, that was there and doing some great work. So at least that that the support of Data Science Nigeria brought kind of North Africa and Southern Africa together. So we were exposed to what's, what they are doing and so forth. But Tony, I agree. I think we can do a lot more to connect better, to work, to collaborate more better. I think it's very early days. 
in terms of, of this still and incredible opportunities to, to, to work better together. Um, I think there's a natural inclination between Southern Africa, Western Africa, and Eastern Africa. There's definitely a link. But, but we are missing kind of that Northern Africa thing. Um, so a connection. So we can do more in that regard. Vim, I don't know if you want to comment. No, I, I agree with you. And I also agree with, uh, with Tom's observation. Um, I, th I think that there is, uh, uh, that, that we see also in the current trade groupings, uh, there's, there's a, a natural type of, um, you know, already, because there are already trade links and business links between different regions of Africa. And we know that, you know, for historical reasons, um, for instance, East Africa and West Africa have not been so strongly connected, you know, also the roads. If you want to take a shipping container from Kenya to Nigeria, you take it by sea around Cape Town. You don't take it by road directly from Kenya to Nigeria. Um, that's the old, old example. And, and similar for the Sahel and Sahara, you know, deconnecting the, the, uh, the Northern African countries. But I think these things are, are, are changing. As Jacques mentioned, there are already activities. I also know that in Tunisia, um, and Southern Africa and South Africa, there are increasing uh, uh, collaborations on, on, for instance, in trade, big data. So I've been involved in one exercise with Tunisia and South Africa where we looked at the big data in terms of trade and logistics, because Tunisia is actually in terms of, of, of distance, uh, you know, very well located towards big markets in Europe and the Middle East and North Africa. Um, so, yes, these type of activities, um, I think, uh, are uh, are important to to continue to to uh, to develop. And and my my question about the universities because um, what you see is that the the number of universities is increasing rapidly. There's also a, a great rise of the number of private universities. And can you see that the attention for for machine learning for AI etc. in universities is more now a matter of the private universities taking it up or can you see that the established universities or the newer public universities also take this on? I think it's my experience so far. It's been um, very selective where they take it on. And it was kind of, for me, kind of, I would expect that even Stellenbosch University or University of Cape Town to be kind of more at the forefront, but, but they are getting the act together. They, they, there's a School of Data Science and Computational Thinking that was launched last year. Uh, I was there at the launch and event. Um, and they do have some post-grad courses in AI and machine learning and so forth. From a MIA side, we, we're also supporting that heavily. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. One of the reasons I founded the Machine Intelligence Institute of Africa was because there was nothing happening. What's, what's going on here? And, and you can see the world, this whole decade that we've just been passed, you see incredible explosion. You see all this wonderful stuff happening. Where's the research? Where's the, the applications? But it's almost like I think things have woken up a little bit so I, I, th I see definitely an upward curve uh, but we can accelerate that we should do more it, it's huge gap Tom I, I think you're so right it's um, but it, at least I, for me it's just good to see the positive things um, but it's very selective and there also a little bit of collaboration um, also with the we also partnered with the um, Nelson Mandela Institute in, in Kenya that, that obviously via John's connections there so I'm very much linked with him as well on that front, but but I still feel it's it's more kind of local. Even in South Africa, I don't see super collaboration uh, as well. So I, I think we are our own biggest enemies. We, we, we should 
we should think about the bigger picture here and and see what we can do and how can we build capacity and learn from one another and and move forward. But anyway, I'm, I'm talking about this kind of thing in the book as well. I think we we got to think about the big picture thinking here. And I think there, there are there are two. To, to add um, Jacques to, to Tom's question also about the universities, I think I think yes, Tom, the, the universities um, should be investing more in in, in STEM type yeah. of, of of education and and training. That that is that is a big need and that is not forthcoming as it is. And that 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 is why we see that the private sector is providing a lot of the the, the most cutting edge activities in AI in Africa. We have actually seen that with the mobile phone revolution as well. The, the fixed landlines. Um, was bypassed by the private mobile phone industry because the governments just couldn't get their act in order to distribute fixed landlines fast enough. There was too much, you know, you, you needed permissions to do any innovations and any investments in fixed landlines was just too difficult to do. But the gap in terms of regulation existed in mobile and the private sector just took it and, and, and continued. Um, and I think we see a little bit of that indeed taking place in AI now. So I'm, I'm really thinking the university should be doing that. I also try, I've also tried, you know, from Europe to make linkages between African data centers and African universities and, 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 and European universities. So, but for some reason, I'm running into, into walls there. You know, I've tried to get the best data science and AI institutes in the Netherlands to work together with African institutes, and it's not working. And there doesn't seem to be funding available, you know, from the Dutch side, you know, from the government development program as well, especially not in the business of AI. You know, in the Netherlands, there's lots of money available for computer scientists and so on for AI. But if you want to apply that into companies and diffuse the AI, well, there's no real programs available to help that type of diffusion. Um, in fact, if you look at the TRIPS agreement in terms of the, the you know, the agreement in terms of patents and intellectual property and technology, in the Netherlands, the flow of technology in terms of its, its development cooperation has actually declined. I think, in fact, the last two years, the Netherlands didn't even, and I, I'm talking on a correction, but I think at least in 2018, when I looked, it didn't even submit a report in terms of its TRIPS commitment. So we do see, you know, still a lot of um, resistance in the advanced economies to actually put their, um, put their words into actions in terms of helping the diffusion of technology to developing countries. So this is one thing that the universities are grappling with. The, the other problem from the public point of view, in my view, and Jacques to also add to this, is that the statistical agencies in Africa have not really geared themselves for the big data revolution. I can remember, I was um, the former South African minister, Trevor Manuel, appointed me to the Council of Statistics of Africa back in 2005. And this was just when we were on the cusp of the big data revolution which took yeah. place in 2007, 2008, the launch of the Apple iPhone, you know, YouTube, et cetera. Um, and we were already at that stage grappling with the fact that the budgets of statistical agencies were being slashed. And they were still doing things in the old fashioned way. They were sending out, you know, enumerators with questionnaires to houses and uh, getting information, you know, not from scanners and from digital sources, but from really old sources. And, and this, I think, should also change because fundamentally, if you want to drive the AI also in universities, if you have this public data available, that would really support the researchers uh, to do something from that. So we do have this public, um, uh, you know, type of, of challenges that uh, would make it a lot better, as John said, to overcome the, the, the skills and data gaps. Can I say something? I can't find the hand button. <laughs> okay, and then I'll come back to you, to Madeleine. Um, Doreen? 
Yeah, well, Marie-Louise and I are both from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Of course, I joined as a private researcher. I want to state that very clearly. But uh, it's true that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is now catching up on all the digital uh, developments and how we should implement that in foreign politics, also geopolitical consequences, the trade consequences, and the whole idea of development and uh, digitalization. Um, so there is a strategic part of the ministry who is really closely looking into that currently. And they're also bringing that up to the senior management of the ministry. And of course, one of the conclusions is that the whole whole of government is still not prepared. We don't really have a focal point on high tech and, and digitalization within the entire government. So even in the Netherlands itself, we are struggling with it. And uh, I think Marie-Louise knows more about how to apply it more in development cooperation work. I do think there was a big grant um, uh, to Miriam de Bruyne on ICT in Africa. So there are some research, research fundings from the Dutch government. But it's true that we are still catching up. And even though we have a lot of strategy papers now, we're still not entirely sure how we're going to implement that in all our different policy areas. Okay. So maybe Marie wants to say something about that. Um, Madeline, your hand was up. Yeah, hello. I'm actually Zabado. I'm the brother. Um, but, <laughs> that's funny, it's just the wrong name there. Um, yeah, I'm Zabado. I'm a bachelor's student in Austria for artificial intelligence. And um, my dad is actually from the Ivory Coast. So I have family there and I keep getting questions about, uh, hello, can you help me to study IT or artificial intelligence in Europe? And because you were saying that there are more and more universities and there is a lot happening, in Africa, I was wondering if this is really also getting through to the to the youngers, uh, to the children, because uh, a lot of times I feel like that there is still the feeling that oh, you, I have to go to Europe, I have to go to the U.S. to to study and to be successful, and um, but it's but and I I don't feel like there is really the it really went through to the youngest of the population that you maybe don't have to go that far, but you know, you just uh, look inside your own country or in your neighboring country and you might get the education that you're looking for. Uh, absolutely, I just want to quickly comment on that. Um, if I even look at my son, he's gonna to go to university now and, and, and uh, just the, the information that's available on the internet, the, just what Google provides, if you think about AI machine learning stuff, there's some incredible courses, if you go to CoLab, Google CoLab for instance, or you look at Coursera and so forth. So, so I think it has been democratized already. You can see in terms of it's it's accessible, and you don't need to go elsewhere to do this. So, is are they are the children aware of it? I think we can we can we should actually maybe do a better job of just showing them w w where all the resources are and what's available. Um, I think there's quite a bit there. So, I've, uh, my son is fortunate because I'm guiding and I'm showing him stuff. But how can we democratize that? How can we make that at scale available so that people uh, can have that? But again, again, infra, if you think, think about uh, the internet infrastructure, uh, all of that is also important as part of that. So, if you don't have access to the internet, you don't have access to knowledge. Um, and, um, and, and the moment you open up that, you remove that barrier. It opens up tremendous opportunities. Um, so, and, and that's why it's important from an African perspective. Education, it's 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 so untapped the potential that's there. If we just fix that problem. So, I'm just showing, guiding people in terms of where to look, what to do, 
Um, it's almost like that filtering and then also uh, the sense making around what's available. And because people spend time on social media and all sorts of other different things, but they can spend the time also on things that's more educational and more uplifting and then helping building values and character and, and skills and, and so forth as well. So I think we, we should try and emphasize that and bring that into the curriculums, into the schools, so that people see what's available out there. But anyway, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a gap, it's a problem. But what I what I also want to emphasize is we we should not. Um, it is important that 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 people travel. It's important for oh, yeah. for for Africa's youth to get out of Africa and travel across the world and be global citizens, right? Um, and learn from the rest of the world. That's the that's the way in which technology and new ideas spread across the world. You know, there's a lot of technology and ideas that are tacit knowledge that you cannot codify and and just you know read a book out to do that. And and that is very important. Also, the networking. So I, I encourage African youngsters to go abroad. The important thing is also, you know, over time to go back and plow their knowledge and expertise back into the continent. Now, I just mentioned, you know, in my presentation, NASPARS, the, the biggest digital platform in Africa who owns, you know, 30% of Tencent, the biggest Chinese, one of the biggest Chinese digital platforms, which created Mnet. How did that happen? Well, I, I, I met the CEO at some time and he told me, well, in the 1970s, he left South Africa to study at Columbia University. He did his MBA in, in, in the United States. And there he got the idea. And so he went back and he sold it in South Africa and he built the biggest digital online platform in Africa. Um, you know, you have, I have many of these stories talking to African entrepreneurs. Um, and what we see at the moment happening as well is that Y Combinator, it's the biggest um, accelerator in the United States. It's where um, Airbnb and Uber and, and Tesla and all these companies got their startup funding from. They are going to Africa now. They have competitions in Africa. They are taking the best and the brightest of entrepreneurs with ideas to Silicon Valley. And then they give them funding and they go back into Africa. So I like these type of, of things. Now, my worry is that with COVID, um, there'd be kind of like maybe an, an, a deglobalization and people will say, well, I can stay in Africa and I can study with, with a university or a school in New Zealand. That's, by the way, happening. I've heard that there are New Zealand schools who are having school children from African countries doing their online international uh, um, you know, uh, education you know, from a school in, in New Zealand. So we are going to see the digital um, online learning um, being cheaper and being more effective, which has the temptation that you can sit in, your, in, in, in any country in Africa and you can study with international institutions more cheaply than in the past. But I would still encourage, you know, my view is that you still need that personal interaction. So we should not be rolling back, uh, you know, restrictions or restrictions on travel should not be become more stronger. We should actually be, be, be more critical about the existence of borders and about the freedom of people to travel across the world. Um, and, and, and that government should be competing for high-skilled people, not the other way around. The people should not be serving their governments, but the government should be serving their people. I absolutely agree. I, I, I think a balanced perspective is so important here. And um, if I even look at myself, a lot of the inspiration and things that I got was traveling internationally, globally and stuff and plowing back. So that's the story that resonates absolutely. Um, so I agree with that. I think it's all a balance. Uh, but what's incredible for me personally, even though I didn't travel a lot last year, well, no, probably not a lot of people traveled a lot, uh, a lot of stuff been canceled. Um, I think exposure to, if you think about YouTube, you think about podcasts, um, Clubhouse, for instance, all these new initiatives where you, you really can plug in and listen to some of the greatest minds 
um, with just by clicking, going to YouTube, going to say Lex Friedman or Joe Rogan, or you go to Intellectual Dark Web, or do a clubhouse. Ellen Musk was speaking in clubhouse, and you listen. There's all these kind of initiatives that just opens the door to other people's thoughts, and that is at least a way to to learn and see what's happening, and kind of be exposed to other thinkings and cultures and so forth as well. But that doesn't. That's not a substitute for uh, traveling and, and stuff like that. So I think it's a balance, and so I fully agree with you. I know what it meant for me. <laughs> well, I, I think I think we have reached the end of the session. We are just past uh, twelve o'clock. So for me, it, um, I would like to ask maybe a final round of applause for all the uh, presenters and for the discussion um, and questions as well. Um, it's been really an, an honor and, and a privilege for me, as well as on behalf of Jacques and John. Uh, you know, we had the conceptualization of this idea, and we are also very grateful to Ton for um, also seeing some merit in, in the ideas that we had to, to share this on the platform that the African Studies Center uh, offered us. So thank you, Ton. Thank you very much for that. We are very proud and, and very happy with the conference that um, that has been organized. Um, you know, in, in it, it would have been fantastic, um, you know, if we could have done it without COVID in presence, but it's still fantastic the way that it's been organized. Um, there's also tonight, you know, as part of the, the, the rich offering of the conference, um, a, a movie um, on uh, Everything Must Fall. Uh, Jock mentioned uh, Fitz University today. Tonight you can watch the movie at eight o'clock and uh, also see how the, how the students um, are really demanding, uh, you know, their rights and their education. I think it's very inspirational. It, it resonates a little bit with what I also see happening with entrepreneurs, just taking the technology and doing things, you know, irrespective of the obstacles that they face. Um, so uh, please do watch the movie tonight if you if you can make it. Um, Ton, and to, again, to all the speakers, Doreen, uh, Peter, Paul, um, to all the people who ask um, questions and make this a very uh, nice and lively session, I thank you all very much. Um, let's also use this to network afterwards, um, you know, contact one another via email or whatever, um, you know, means if there are follow-up questions or information. And also, hopefully, the positive thing from Marie-Louise and Doreen's uh, feedback is maybe we can encourage the Dutch government to, to, to do more in terms of the transfer of knowledge in AI and data science to African universities, African schools, um, and the like. I certainly see this as a, as a priority for Africa's future. Um, so on my, my side, thank you very much, everybody, and have a nice afternoon. And uh, Jacques, if you want to mention something as well, you, you, uh, you can have the final word. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I just want to say thank you, Vim, as well, and uh, thank you for all the participants, for everyone. Yeah, I think it was very enlightening, and it was uh, refreshing, and it was interesting. I, I found all the presentations uh, very interesting. So thanks very much. This is good. We should do more of this. Thanks. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Have a nice thank afternoon. Bye-bye. Yes, bye-bye.